0: Farm listeners, before we get into this week's episode, I have some, some sad news to pass along. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for years uh, likely remember the conversation with an osteosarcoma survivor I did uh, back in the, the late winter, early spring of 2019 with uh, with colleague Brian Odle. Um If you listen to that podcast, you will hear uh, him describing uh, all of the chemotherapy he has received and... Uh, as you were listening to that, uh, you may be thinking, boy, this sounds like treatment-related MDS or MDA or AML will be a concern in the future. And that ultimately uh, is what led to uh, his passing earlier this week. Uh, the Gatton College of Pharmacy family is mourning. Uh, I'll be tweeting out uh, links to his um, obituary for anyone who may be interested, along with uh, information about donating to a scholarship fund. Uh, as well as the Halo House in Houston where he stayed while getting treatments at MD Anderson, which he, he raved about that place. Um, so uh, if you are so inclined, please keep Brian uh, and uh, his, his family uh, and, and our pharmacy family in your thoughts and prayers. Welcome to Alco Farm. I'm your host, I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the sporting sponsor of Farm, the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. Uh, It is February 18th, 2021, and there's just a little bit of snow on the ground, no ice. Thankful for that here in Johnson City. Uh, Today is, uh, I guess, a bit of a special episode. Uh, In three days from now, uh, on the 21st of February, which will be Saturday, when many of you perhaps will be listening to this. Uh, will be the 30th anniversary or birthday of the approval of Phil of GCSF here in the United States. Uh, There are only a few drugs who get their own era. We've got the imatinib era. uh, We've got a tristuzumab era. Uh, well, there's a growth factor. There's a white blood cell growth factor, and it started 30 years ago. Um, so So what I wanted to talk about this week is just a wonder that is uh, Phil Grassman GCSF, and a little bit of history, you know how I like history, uh, as well as a, a few clinical pearls over the years uh, dealing with, um, with, with Phil Grassman white blood cell growth factors. So the story starts, uh, in the '60s, and there were some researchers in Australia and researchers in Israel who kind of arrived at the same thing uh, at the same time. Uh, so these folks in uh, in in Melbourne uh, were taking um, uh, leukemia cells, and they, you know, to study the leukemia cell growth, they would put the leukemia cells on top of a layer of other cells, and those other cells would grow and divide, and the leukemia cells, you know, they would like use. Uh, the nutrients from these other cells and grow. So they would put leukemia cells over things like uh, cells from the mouth or cells from the breast or cells from the skin or whatever, okay? Uh, Well, what they noticed is when they put these leukemia cells over colonies of bone marrow cells, the leukemia cells stimulated the growth of the bone marrow cells, and that led them to figure out, well, what is this factor that's stimulating the growth of these bone marrow colonies. And that led them to the discovery of granulocyte colony stimulating factor. There was, of course, granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factor and a whole bunch of other uh, factors. And eventually they figured out that GCSF, granulocyte colony stimulating factor, was uh, the best thing uh, to promote uh, neutrophil uh, growth. Um, and they figured this out uh, partially because of you know, these levels uh, increased a lot after infections or exposure to endotoxin uh, in the lab, uh, leading to uh, to increased neutrophil uh, production. A lot of interesting stuff here. Uh, it did take then from the mid-60s when this was, was discovered to, you know, another 20 or so years to figure out how to purify GCSF, and then how to transfect things like E. coli, which is where we get filgrastim now, uh, transfect them with uh, the the appropriate gene um, in vitro to have the bacteria, in this case E. coli, to make a whole bunch of GCSF, which is uh, filgrastim. Um, one of the things that uh, was learned early on is that uh, GCSF, in addition to stimulating the bone marrow production of neutrophils, also enhanced extramedullary hematopoiesis, especially in the spleen, which is why if you look in the warnings, you'll see there are risks of splenic rupture because you can cause the spleen to make a whole bunch of uh, of, of basically uh, bone marrow cells uh, in the spleen. That's what extramedullary hematopoiesis is, uh, so big that that can cause rupture. Very, very rarely does that happen uh, with with filgrastim. Uh, you know, this caused me, this, this anniversary, to go back and look at some of the early studies uh, of filgrastim and, and some of what uh, was learned from this. Uh, you know, so in general, GCSF uh, will decrease the amount of time uh, that uh, a neutrophil uh, stays in the bone marrow uh, after it's very close to being mature from like six days to three days. So it will decrease the amount of time in half so it gets not only increases the number of neutrophils or granulocytes that are produced uh, but it gets them out into uh, the, the circulation uh, quicker. It gets them out faster. Uh, not just because it's making more numbers but it actually gets them out into the bloodstream faster. And we know that GCSF filgrastim has many many uses um, and when, I, when I'm talking now about, about filgrastim, I'm including, of course, biosimilar filgrastim, and I'm including PEG filgrastim, uh, the pegulated version that you give one time. Uh, talk about where we use this, and we have some pretty good data that when we use this as primary prophylaxis, not really primary prophylaxis, but we, when, when we use it in dose-dense chemotherapy, especially AC regimens for breast cancer, and to a less prevalent uh, extent, uh, dose-dense MVAC for uh, for uh, n- muscle invasive bladder cancer, you see overall survival improvements because you're able to keep folks on schedule uh, giving chemo. Uh, we know that uh, from many studies that giving filgrastim following consolidation care chemotherapy uh, in acute in acute myeloid leukemia patients, it decreases the duration of neutropenia by a week, uh, and by decreasing the duration of neutropenia by a week, you decrease hospitalization time, you decrease antibiotic use, which is helpful in our never-ending battle against Uh, drug-resistant infections, and antibiotic stewardship. So in some ways, filgrastim, judicious filgrastim use is a weapon in in antibiotic stewardship because people are less neutropenic. That means less uh, antibiotics. Uh, We know that uh, it allows us to give higher doses of chemo than we otherwise uh, would have i um, thinking of like a, a high-dose ARC regimen for consolidation chemo. You have patients who uh, may be in the pre-growth factor era. You would not have considered them candidates for intensive chemo, whether that's, that's HIDAC and AML consolidation, whether that's RCHOP in somebody over the age uh, of 65 where the risk of neutropenic fever is above 20%. So I always give those folks primary uh, growth factor prophylaxis. Uh, there are likely patients getting AC not even in a dose-dense fashion uh, who, you know, would struggle to stay on schedule without secondary prophylaxis with growth factor. Um, it, it has allowed us to both keep patients on schedule, so maintain our dose density, and giving higher doses of chemo, allowing for greater dose intensity. Um, and it's uh, something I'm very glad that I did not uh, practice in the pre-growth factor era because it is... it is. Um, you know it, it's tough to consider that, that that was something that happened when chemotherapy was first given is we didn't have a way to accelerate bone marrow recovery uh whereas now now we do have that um a couple a couple little clinical pearls here uh at least here in the u.s with our, our, our drg based system for uh, reimbursing patients in the hospital uh, if you're like us in almost all places i know are like this you don't give peg full grasp in the hospital but every now and then you you know, you gotta give somebody growth factor in the hospital and the way this this happens for us is every now and then we'll have a lymphoma patient with, uh, you know, where we wanna give their first cycle of treatment in the hospital because they're high risk for, for tumor lysis syndrome. Uh, we wanna watch them so we're doing an R-chop, we're doing maybe even a dose adjust our epoch in the hospital and we try to save the R for outpatient if we can. Uh, and we'll say, all right, we're gonna give your chemo here in the hospital. Watch your labs. Labs are good. You'll go, you know, you'll go get your your pegfilgrastim as an outpatient. You, know, you get your your your, uh, your growth factor as an outpatient. But then something comes up during the hospitalization. They have a complication with tumor lysis syndrome. They have, I don't know, something else come up. They get a bad infection. Who knows? Something comes up. They have a fall. Uh, you know, they've got a, who knows, they've got something going on and they can't be discharged in time to get that 72-hour window from when we can give our, our peg pegfilgrastim And we've got to start filgrastim in house, all right? So one, uh, one little quick tip there is when you start filgrastim those folks, typically about 10 days of filgrastim is worth one dose of PEG-Fulgrastim. Uh, and if you go back and look at all these old studies of filgrastim, the end point of stopping filgrastim use was ANC above 1,000 for two days or ANC above 1,500 for two to three days. That's pretty standard. It's not in the filgrastim package insert. It's somewhat of an unwritten rule. You have to, to find it written. You have to go look in, uh, in the methods from these old studies of filgrastim from the, from the 90s. Um, so you give them filgrastum until their ANC uh, comes up to, you know, 1,500 for three days is kind of what I recommend uh, in my practice. That is after the nadir. And this is the clinical pearl is if you start full grasp in the hospital and folks initially that, that their white counts are going to go up and, and some unsuspecting nurse is going to see the order that says give until ANC above 1,500 for three days or above 5,000 for one day. And like the first day you give it, their ANC is above 5,000 because their counts haven't dropped yet and they hold it. And that's not what we want to do. Um, so that's one clinical pro is to kind of, to to watch for that. You, you are expected to see a big increase in G C or in, in their white count, uh, but it'll drop, and after it recovers following the nadir is when you stop your growth factor. Um, I don't know why the, the P I has the you know you the P I says I think to give uh, for primary prophylaxis until the ANC is above 10,000, which is just extra doses of filgrastim. It doesn't be doesn't help anybody except uh, whoever is selling the filgrastim. All right, second kind of clinical pearl to talk about is the bone pain with with filgrastim. Those of you who listen to the pod uh, know that I was a a hematopoietic uh, stem cell donor uh, for a transplant several years ago. I did peripheral blood donation, took filgrastim for five days, a double dose of filgrastim, so 10 mics per kilo per day, not the standard dose of 5 micrograms per kilogram per day. Uh, I did have some bone pain. It felt like fullness uh, in my sacrum. Uh, I took some Tylenol at night because it didn't hurt, but it was kind of just gnawing there and I could just feel it. So uh, I took some acetaminophen. Um, I I did coincide, this was in the spring, I did coincide taking my seasonal allergy medicine at that time. And this is something that anecdotally was found that people taking things like Claritin or Loratidine, these second generation non-sedating antihistamines tended to have less bone pain, people said. Uh, And for that reason, people started to recommend Claritin um, to, to, treat slash prevent, um, uh, GCSF induced bone pain. Um, this has been studied. There's a phase two study, uh, showing no benefit from antihistamines. It is not evidence-based to recommend that. Uh, and yet I took them when I was taking, uh, uh, um, you know, my double dose of filgrastim. I will say we don't have a study saying it doesn't work for double dose filgrastim. so there's no evidence to either refute or uh, recommend what I did personally. Uh, my current practice is I don't recommend it. I also don't fight it if, some, if one of the doctors says, ah, let's, you should take Claritin if you have bone pain. Um, it's a risk benefit. Is there benefit? I don't know. There's no proven benefit. Is there risk? No, there's no risk to Claritin, all right? So the risk-benefit uh, you know, equation favors the benefit uh, because there's a question mark for the benefit and there's a zero, uh, for the there's not a zero, but there's almost a zero when it comes to risk. Of uh, uh, antihistamines for pegfilgrastim or filgrastim-induced bone pain. Uh, so those are those are kind of the common things uh, as far you know that come up in, in clinical practice are, are the timing of this, uh, the bone pain, uh, and, and and not stopping it early. Those rare times you do have to give just uh, straight daily filgrastim in the hospital. Uh, there was one other thing I was going to say. I should have written this down. This is great. Uh' is great podcasting oh one one thing that does come up is you know we we do not give filgrastim, and most of you all, all know this we don't give Phil uh within twenty four hours of chemo in general and the the rationale for this is chemo kills, and I'm talking cytotoxic chemo chemo kills rapidly dividing cells um so we don't want that in the system because it will cause the bone marrow cells to grow even more rapidly. The growth factor or the granulocyte precursors to grow even more quickly, potentially making them more susceptible to chemo. There is some evidence, like I know there's some peds, acute leukemia studies for, for, for kids with a certain uh, GCSF receptor uh, isoform that they do have greater neutropenia when they're given growth factor. Uh, in general, you know, the studies are, are not conclusive that if you were to do fill gra- peg fill on like the same day for outpatient chemo, that it makes a difference. But we do try to avoid it. I, I, I will say that in some of our, uh, you know, our, um, our protocols uh, where you're giving a dose of, say, vincristine, um, on day eight or something like that, uh, or day eleven for like a hyper-CVAD regimen. Uh, then Christine's not myelosuppressive at the doses we give, so it's okay to start your growth factor, you know, on day six after after your doxrubsen finishes up. Uh, following that, that 24-hour infusion on day four, if you do that, that version of hyper-CVAD. Those are kind of the big things I think about uh, for for GCSF and filgrastim. Of course, we always use we tend to always use GCSF here over GMCSF. GMCSF does cause more uh, side effects uh, with the flu-like reactions, uh, and of course we've got biosimilars of filgrastim and, and pegfulgrastim. We've got the on-pro injector injector of nulasta, uh, which allows pseudo same-day administration of pegfulgrastim. Uh But you know, if you are, are are you know relatively new, young in oncology, you know, 30 years or younger, you you know it, you know you you may not have seen fulgrestim used a whole lot you know, where I trained, we used a lot of filgrastim, you know, and, and um, oh, we also, it also allows us to uh, to mobilize patients prior to, to stem cell transplant, which, of course, I mentioned because I did that. Just an amazing drug. There's nothing, you know, if you've been doing this for a while, you probably didn't learn anything new here about filgrastim, but I just want you to appreciate filgrastim, you know, on Saturday, the 21st, 2021, if you're so inclined, raise raise a, a glass of a, a frosty adult beverage and, and and toast filgrastim for what it did. Uh, it in a new era in, in um, supportive care of, of cancer patients, uh, similar to 5 ht 3 antagonists, uh, uh, whereas 5 ht 3 antagonists really improved a whole bunch. The supportive care of patients, Peg and Filgrastim improved not just supportive care, but also just the quality of care, and in some cases the efficacy and overall survival uh, improvements in patients uh, with cancer getting cytotoxic chemo. So that's this week's uh, birthday shout out uh, for Fulgrastim. Next week, lots to talk about. We got uh, a new drug approval for Trilocyclib. Interesting drug to talk about. We've got some new stuff from ASCO GU. We've got this uh, Linvatinib Pembrolizumab regimen now for metastatic renal cell carcinoma. And it's just another one of these similar regimens, uh, kind of the same story that we've talked about before on this pod in that space. So that'll be next week Uh, until I talk to you again. Remember, Doses Matter.